Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to Read Initiative. My name is Dr. Katherine Garforth from Garforth Education, and I am your host. Today, I have the pleasure of having Andrea Frick, a teacher from Alberta, join me. Uh, on the last episode, we talked about her journey uh, as a teacher. She is a younger teacher, three years into the journey, or close to three years into the journey. And today she's going to talk about how she uses structured literacy in her classroom. Welcome, Andrea. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Do you want to give us a little back of a background about where you teach and who you teach? Sure. So I teach at a school board in Alberta. I teach at Greater St. Albert Catholic Schools. Um, we are just a city just outside of Edmonton, very close, and I teach grade two. So in my first three years as a teacher, my first position was teaching grade three, and I actually taught up north in Fort McMurray. Um, I'm originally from St. Albert, so I ended up moving back. And yeah, I taught grade two last year here at Greater St. Albert Catholic Schools, and I'm teaching grade two again. Wonderful. So how did the start of your year look like? You know, you get your new class. How did, did you do anything to get to know your students and figure out where they were? Or do you yes. just run running? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, well, in terms of literacy, um, we got right down to it with our T series. So for those of you who don't know, the T series are just standardized assessment that measure different pillars of reading development. So they're just standardized tests. So one assessment is the Towery and measures students' phonemic decoding and fluency. The other one is the TOSREF. Um, it measures sight word recognition and fluency. And then finally, there is the toes rec. <laughs> can be very confusing when you say them out loud, but the toes rec uh, measures students' vocabulary development and reading comprehension. And of course, I'll dive into it today, how I go through my assessment practices, um, how I use assessments to determine what key areas I need to focus on with a particular student or a particular groups of students and how I organize them into my literacy centers and when I do tier two pull out instruction or intervention. Awesome. I am looking forward to it. So um, also, what does your class composition look like as far as student body? Like you don't want to go in like this student is this, but like socioeconomic sector uh, background, um, are, do you have many English language learners? Um, yes, I mean, we, we have a variety of students within our district. Um, we do have English language learners. We have students with developmental disabilities within our schools, um, and we cater to all our needs within an inclusive environment. Yeah. And, so you, you're not assuming that everybody has the same skills coming into grade two? Absolutely not. And I mentioned this in the previous podcast where, you know, when we think grade level, we have to remember that we need to follow the child individually, right? So throwing grade level aside, doesn't matter what child, what grade a child is in. If they're in grade six and they're struggling with phonemic awareness, we target phonemic awareness, right? It's meeting the needs of that particular child. So no, I definitely do not expect students to have this um, cohesive 
great level understanding of literacy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So you're going to share some slides with us. I look forward to seeing them. Yeah. Uh, if you are listening to this as the podcast recording, there will be a link that can take you to the video recording. Awesome. So I'm going to share my screen here and there might be a few slides that um, I'll skip over just because um, it, it might not be relevant to the presentation or to the discussion today. These were some slides that I shared at one of our uh, school professional developments all about implementing structured literacy um, within our classroom, both for whole class and then for pullout instruction. So um, I have some resources here. I'm just going to skip over and we're just going to go straight to it. So the first part, you know, it's September, we're walking in, maybe we take a week or so to get to know the students, build relationships with the class, um, you know, really just doing that foundational relationship building, um, understanding the students, the students get familiar with the school, the classroom, the teacher, the educational assistance, etc. And then probably by week two, we dive right in and we do the T series at our school division um, with Greater St. Albert Catholic Schools. So the first thing we're going to do is we analyze the T series, right? And I use this to inform my pullout groups and it informs me as to what areas, again, the five pillars of literacy, what pillars do we need to focus on with these particular students, right? So they do these assessments. Um, the Towery assessment, I, I wish I had a copy of it with me right now, but I don't. But Towery assessment, the students are given 45 seconds and they have to read a list of sight words. And we tell the students, read them as fast as you can and do your best reading, right? And you keep going until I say stop. So I set my timer for 45 seconds. The kids read the words as fast as they can on my be, have, no, so, what, etc. Then we flip over the page and I say to the kids, I go, now these are non-words or you could call them silly words, right? Mm -hmm. And I want you to read these silly words, you know, as fast as you can. And I want you to do your best reading and try to get them all correct. Now, for me personally, when we do the non-word assessment, that is the biggest indicator of a child's phonemic decoding skills. Because sight words are sight words, right? You can be trained to just memorize a sight word, but can you, do you actually have the skills in place to sound out the word, do that phonemic decoding, right? So well, it helps you understand the grapheme phoneme correspondences that your students have mastered because uh, non-words or silly words or uh, pseudo words are or, um, phonologically or phonetically legal English words. So they are syllables that you may even see in other words. Uh, I know there's um, examples out there, I believe it's by Stephen Parker, where he has some non-word that you see on uh, measures and then he shows well look it's actually part of this word mm -hmm. um, yeah. so it's it's important to realize that it isn't a pointless task it's not a pointless task and it's a very key indicator of students phonemic decoding skills so for example like if I had the silly word let's say it was the letter a and the letter p the kid can say 
app. Very good. That might tell me that you know um, your basic consonants and your short vowels, right? But let's say I had the silly word, it's C-H-A-L, chal, but the child pronounces it cal, right? So, okay, maybe we need to master our digraphs. So it really gives me a good indicator of their developmental level. <clears throat> Pardon me. So what we do is we we input their scores. Um, we have an Excel spreadsheet. And because it's a standardized assessment, right? So we have the SWE score and the PDE score. We put those scores in and we mark it based on what words they got correct and what words they didn't. So we look at their scores, right? So the 43 shows that um, the student was able to read 43 words correctly in 45 seconds. But when we go to the other one, the PDE score, they were able to read 19 silly words, silly words, non-words. Um, and then it color codes it. It gives you a standardized score, meaning that this is where they're at based on their age level, right? So this student scored an average of 104. We would consider that at grade level. So we know that this student is doing pretty okay in terms of their phonemic decoding. Whereas if you look at this other example, this this one had a 26 with real words and then a three with silly words. So that gives me an indicator. Okay, I look at their score. It's red. That's an 87. So we need to do some work to bring them above grade level, right? So it really gives me a good snapshot of, okay, who is um, who needs to work more on their phonemic decoding skills and who are the ones that I could potentially move on to maybe focusing more on vocabulary and comprehension, right? Again, meeting the child with where they're at. Well, and so, I know another conversation um, that is going around in the circles is about decodable texts yes. and when to use them and when they're appropriate. So if we're, we're looking at students that are in the red and the yellow, those are students that we want to be working on the decodable texts. Yes. Whereas yep. the ones in the, the green and the blue, authentic texts or uncontrolled texts yep. uh, are appropriate for those students because they have the skills that they need mm -hmm. to read words. Yeah, you, you kind of beat me right to it. I definitely have right. notes to talk about decodable books. I'm I guess maybe I'm maybe going a bit too slow. I'll try to speed it up a little. No, bit. no, it's fine. It's just, I thought this was a, a perfect pictorial representation that yes. people could see. Yes. Right. I think it's, it's a wonderful chart. Mm -hmm. um, and you're seeing with the colors, okay, these are the students that I need to work with. Right. And you're seeing that there are some students that are great at their sight word vocabulary. So the words that they can read uh, by sight within a fraction of a second. Mm -hmm. um but those are words that they've encountered several times and they've figured out but they may not have the skills to decode words that they're not regularly exposed to mm -hmm. right um so where was one like the one with this the what was it it was um a 90 which is borderline for a standard score of 90 with 43 um, words or even the one right above. So 52 words read correctly of the sight word vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Then when we go to the pseudo word, mm -hmm. we're seeing like the 85 and the 98. So they're, um, there's right. definitely something to 
work on, even though that if you were listening to them read a book to you, you may not pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I would look at this student whose sight word efficiency score was, I believe it stands for sight word efficiency score, yeah. but it stands for, it has a 52, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So you know a lot of your high frequency words, right? Mm -hmm. But when we're decoding unfamiliar words, are you able to use your grapheme, phonian understand aids to apply that in your decoding, right? Mm -hmm. So this student, you know, they scored within the yellow range, which is a 93 on average. So I would probably do more phonics-based full-out intervention with decodable books. And I would probably even incorporate some sight words too, just to build up the, um, the fluency piece. And I do have a little visual here for those of you who can see, but blue would be, you know, superior or quite above grade or your age level range. Green is good. Yellow, you know, we're, we're a little bit behind, but we can, we can catch up. But red would be, okay, this is where I need to do my tier three intervention or even possibly my tier four intervention. Yellow would be tier two. I would say green and blue is your tier one kiddos. Well, you can also have differentiated instruction working with some of the students on other skills like you have right here. Mm -hmm. Sorry, say that again. Well, basically what you're just about to go into, I, I, I haven't previewed these slides, so I don't know the sequence that you're talking. Yeah. Uh, your, your blue students, as you're, you're having on this slide, you still focus on other activities in a differentiated instruction environment. So they are still yeah. working on gaining oh. new skills. Yes, absolutely. It's not just, it's not, it's not just not focusing class. on the phonemic awareness. Yes. And the yes. graphing phoneme correspondence, as you're saying, look, yes, they can, yes. they can do that with the entire group. Right. But right. I want to focus on these other skills. Yes, perhaps I worded that incorrectly. No, I, I mean, they do the whole class phonics, but then when I pull them out, I'm meeting them where their needs are. So for example, in the slides, you can see, you know, when I look at the T-series, specifically the Tauri, when we're looking at phonemic decoding, um, I see I have students that are in the blue. Right. So this means, OK, they're doing quite well in their phonemic decoding. They have those skills in place. I can pull those kids out maybe one to two times a week. Right. And I'm typically focusing on vocabulary activities um, because vocabulary is the key factor that leads to reading comprehension. Pre-teaching explicitly direct instruction vocabulary is shown to boost comprehension scores among students, right? So I'll go into like some resources I use for these areas. So this would be my students who they're excelling in their phonemic decoding. I pull them out. We're doing a lot of um, interest-based books. I think that was the word you use rather than decodable books. And I'm selecting oh, authentic texts. Yes, authentic text. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So authentic text and I'm pre-selecting tier two words. I'll, I'll get into that in a bit, but essentially tier two vocabulary words are words that you perhaps wouldn't encounter on a day-to-day -day basis that might just be very specific to the text that you're reading. I'll get more into that, but I do want to move on. When I have my pullout groups and I look at my scores that are green, right? I might even pull them out two to three times a week. And again, focusing on vocabulary activities. If I can, I might pull them out a little bit more than the blue group. Um, 
or you know if you have a smaller class size which i don't think a lot of teachers have at the moment but if you do have a smaller class size you can add the kids who scored in the green level to your blue group right and again pre-teaching vocabulary that's probably what i would do with those kids now, when I look at kids who scored in the yellow area, I want to really step it up, and I'm probably going to pull these kids out three to four times a week. Now, when I'm doing these pullouts, so basically when I do centers, like I have an area in the classroom that the kids all go to, and I'll say, okay, everyone, can the, I don't know, the lion group come to the U table, and we're going to read. So lion group, let's say they're the yellow group, I pull them out, they come sit at my U table, and I'm not going to focus on vocabulary because we're looking at their scores and we could see that we need to work on some more explicit phonics. So again, I'm going to focus on explicit phonemic awareness, phonics, and fluency. So something I might do in a typical pullout session with students who scored yellow, I might do a phonemic awareness warm up, warm up right? So maybe we're looking at I don't know, rhyming, alliteration, sentence segmentation, syllables, onset rhymes, things like that. And I'll go into resources I use for those activities. So I'll do pull out phonemic awareness warm up. I'll do a phonics lesson and I'll talk a little bit more about how I know which grapheme phonemes the kids are at. And then I'll also do a decodable book. So, for example, let's say we are working on, I don't know, digraphs, right? So, okay, let's blend the sounds together. Ch, at, chat, ch, ip, chip, right? And then I might actually get my mini whiteboard, write down the letter CH, and I'll say, this makes the ch sound. Can you say that with me? Ch, we'll write some words together that have the ch sound, and then I'll pull up a decodable book. And a decodable book, for those of you who don't know, is basically a book that repeats that specific grapheme to phoneme correspondence repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. So I know um, a few months ago, the first book I read was um, we were learning that NG makes that mm sound. So we read the book, The King Lost His Ring. And it just talks over and over and over again about how the king lost his ring. And it's so the kids practice sounding out those letter sound correspondences. So then I go into my red group. So these are kids that they would be probably my tier three, tier four support. And I'm gonna to try to pull them out as much as I can, probably three to five times a week, four to five times a week. And I'm gonna do something very similar to yellow. I'm gonna focus explicitly on phonemic awareness, phonics, and fluency. Now, this is the key where you really do have to know your students. And this is where assessment comes in. So I know, you know, with the kids that I pull out with red group, I might focus a bit more on phonemic awareness and phonics, but I might have my warm up for phonemic awareness a little bit longer, or I just pull them out more frequently at that point. But I would probably do exact same thing as yellow phonemic awareness warm up, a phonics lesson, and a decodable book. And can I keep going? That's <laughs> so okay. awesome. I'm just going to take a quick sip of water if that's okay. Of course, and, and I like how you, you've shown us that this can be done uh, is with pull-out groups within the classroom with the classroom teacher, mm -hmm. and it's not solely dependent on your resource time and resource support. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and then looking at still focusing on these skills in whole classic instruction and realizing that it's important for 
your red and yellow students to still get the other aspects in whole class teaching. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, everyone benefits from whole class teaching too. But when I pull them out, it's just I'm being in very intentional of what I'm doing in my small group. So they still get to do the whole class instruction. They're still learning the graphing phoneme correspondences, whole class, but then they come into my U table area and they do a lesson that's very specific to their literacy needs, if that's what you want to call it. But, um, and a lot of people might think that, you know, um, pull out instruction you know, might not be inclusive. Um, I mean, when I do pull out instruction, it's always at the U table and it's in my classroom, right? I almost never go into another room, like, unless for some reason, I've never had this before, maybe a student needs a really quiet area. But, you know, when I do pull out, they're, they're with a group, right? And they're still in the classroom, they're in that inclusive space. And, you know, it is inclusive in the sense that I'm really being intentional at targeting their needs. Anyhow, let's get into whole class teaching. So I'm going to well, show I just you wanted to mention that it, it's more, I don't like having it as inclusive or exclusive, especially yes. when it's in the classroom. It's called differentiated instruction. You're Precisely. changing your instruction based on the student's instructional needs and it's fluid groups, groupings. So can move between the groups based on their needs Yes. And not saying you have to stay here for the rest of the year. Precisely. Absolutely. I, I like that term fluid groups rather than pull out groups. That sounds, that's a bit more, um, uh, it, it describes exactly what we're doing in the classroom when we do small group work with these students. Anyhow, let's get into whole class teaching. I'll show you what I do, what my whole class phonemic awareness looks like, what my phonics whole class looks like fluency and vocabulary teaching looks like for a whole class in grade two. Okay, so the first thing I like to do for about 10 minutes a day, we have a block, we call it phonological awareness. The students in my class, we might even call it the listening game. And the whole point is to develop students' ability to identify and manipulate speech sounds because research shows that when you're able to do these auditory tasks, your eyes are closed, like you're not looking at any letters or any graphemes and no, like there's no printing involved. You could do it with your eyes closed. But when you're able to do these auditory tasks and listen and identify and manipulate speech sounds, you're ready for the next step, which is phonics. The key thing is phonological awareness can be done with your eyes closed, right? So I say the word cat. Can you say cat? Yes, cat. Okay, change the k to a b. What, what's the word? The word is bat, right? If you're able to manipulate these speech sounds, you're ready to move on to phonics too. So the I think this is a really popular resource, especially in Alberta teachers, but I use the Hegarty. I'm sure many of you have heard of this, but I think what I like about Hegarty is it's, it's a whole primary curriculum um, labeled within weeks and it tells you it basically tells you exactly what to do so let's just flip to a random page here and i'll hold it up on my screen hopefully you guys can see it but we have you can get free samples from the website for three weeks worth uh teaching using Hagerty. 
-hmm. And you can use it as like a scripted program, but it's also a great resource for getting word lists. Yes, actually, you know what? I've never thought of it that way. I think I'm going to start pulling out word lists. Thank you. Um, so it's laid out, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and it shows exactly what you're supposed to do, right? So this first part, the students are going to segment their onset and rhymes. So it says in the instructions, teacher says the word, students repeat the word and segment into onset and rhyme. So if I say peach, the students say peach, and then they go each peach and even on the website they have like little hand movements you can incorporate for that kinesthetic movement um they have right? them in the book don't they my colleague they, they did I thought the they had a little description at least the beginning you know what they probably do yeah and i mean and you can even make your own rendition too i don't think you have to necessarily follow the exact hand movements but as long as you're doing something to get the kids active. I mean, I've heard of teachers even using blocks, right? So like, but at, but, and then, okay, let's change the but to a, and then you actually use the block. So it's like an handheld manipulative. I know when I do phonemic awareness in my class, I have these, um, uh, you know, the number blocks, like the, the ones, the tens, the hundreds, the little number. Yeah, yeah, I take the 10 rods and I have a magnetic set on my board and I just give it to the kids. So I get them, I always say, hold your 10 blocks. And then I just get yeah. them to do that. Um, so again, so segmenting onset rhyme, this one talks about adding initial phonemes and deleting initial phonemes, but it's all laid out for you. You don't have to do any planning. It's almost like a cookbook, so to speak. You just follow the instructions and do it. And you can even have fun with it. I like to give prizes to my students. I have a mini gumball machine in my class and I'm like, okay, if I can see you looking at me, listening, saying the words and sounds and doing the actions. And I'll say, if you try to do it the entire time, I'll give you a prize. So I have like a little gumball machine and the kids really like it, but I like to just have fun with it and add my own spin. So I'll do phonemic awareness for about 10 minutes and it go, what I like about this is as you progress through the Hagerty phonemic awareness curriculum, the skills get more advanced. So, you know, we're starting off with rhyme and alliteration, and then it might move into segmentation, syllables, onset rhyme, things like that, blending sounds. It's very, um, like progress, pro, it goes along a progression, so to speak. Okay, I'm going to change my slide here. So I do 10 minutes of phonemic awareness. Next, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my whole class phonics. Now, of course, I'll talk about this tomorrow because I will be on a session um, regarding my role with the phonics companion. But surprise, surprise, for my phonics curriculum, I use the phonics companion because I helped write the resource. And actually, um, our whole school division uh, has purchased the phonics companion so they want every k to three teacher using the phonics companion in their classroom so i'll just show you sorry just I, jump yeah. in there the thing that I, I love about that is the continuity between classrooms and the consistent message that the students are doing and i want to say that this is not taking autonomy away from teachers it is providing them with the resource to make sure that the students in the classroom, regardless of where, what district, or sorry, what school they are in or which classroom they're assigned to, they are getting 
equal access to foundational principles needed for reading that are going to set them up. Yes, absolutely. And what I like about the phonics companion too, and I think I talked about this when we were meeting last, is there's a quick assessment. I'll show it on the next slide, but it will pinpoint exactly what grapheme to phoneme correspondences your students understand and don't understand, right? So when you purchase the phonics companion, right? I mean, I have the physical book, but I also have access online with Pearson, right? So there's a section called about the resource, lesson resources and assessments. I would click on assessments. And what I would do is I would do the uh, the phonics companion quick screener, right? So I don't know if you can see that little image right here, just in the bottom right. But basically what it is, I'm, I wish I could make this bigger. Actually, you know what? I think I'm going to make it really big for a second, just so we can see only for that purpose. I'm just going to copy that. I'm going to make a new slide. So go to new slide. And I'll paste that right there. Okay. There you go. Is that better to see? Yes. <laughs> okay, perfect. So what I would do is I would go to um, the Faunus Companion Quick Screener, and I'm basically given this list, and I believe it's the 75 most frequent grapheme to phoneme correspondences in English. So that's how it's ordered. Now, some different phonics resources like to, you know, you could order your scope and sequence based on, um, you know, like vowel teams, our controlled vowels, et cetera, or you can just follow, these are the most frequent, these are the least frequent. I think with the phonics companion, it's a mix of both. But anyway, what it suggests is if you're working with grade two and grade three, you know, you, you start at the graphing at 30, right? And basically you have a card. So when we look at 30, it shows TH, that makes two sounds. It can make the unvoice or it can make the voice, right? So basically we look at 30 and we see the TH and I could say, okay, like I, I hold the sign up to the student and I say, what letter or letter, uh, what sound does this letter or letter combination make? And if they can say at least one sound, I give them a check mark in that little box there. Okay. Um, and I keep going until they get, I believe it's five or six consecutive ones in a row incorrectly. If they can't say at least one sound that these graphemes make, then I would stop the assessment. I go, okay, that's it. Right now. There is wiggle room with this. Like they say you could start at 30 for grade two, grade three, but they say for grade one, it's best to start right at row one. Now with my students who might be, when I do my towery, who might've scored yellow or red, I might start at one, even though they're in grade two, right? So I'm thinking about my students' needs. I go, okay, well, I know these kids need a little bit more um, pull out instruction with their phonics. So I'll probably just start at one and see. And then actually what I'll do is I will write down the student names. Like, so when I complete my assessments, I'll, I'll take a look and I'll get a spreadsheet like this and I'll write down the student names, like where they got it correctly. And that like, so for example, let's say I have a student in my class named John, right? So John got check marks for one, two, three, and then four onwards didn't. So 
within my spreadsheet for my class, I would write, okay, John's name for one, two, three. And I would do this for all the students in my class. And what I do is I look at the section where most students struggled, right? So let's say I see a lot of student names on row 30, right? I see a lot of student names on row 30, then I'd say, okay, this is where I'm going to start with my whole class instruction. Most kids are struggling with the TH and th, so I'm probably going to start there with my whole class instruction. But then, you know, when I look at my kids who are red and I see, you know, Johnny is struggling with at, right? That's yeah. when I go, okay. And I see other kids, maybe Johnny and Jane, I don't know, I'm making these names up. Johnny and Jane are struggling with one, two, three. Then I would say, okay, well, I'm going to, that's going to inform my small groups, right? So when I'm doing phonics instruction or phonics um, fluid groups, the pullout instruction, I'm going to say, okay, well, those kiddos were struggling with A makes the A sound. So I'm going to be making sure that I explicitly teach A makes the A sound and have a decodable book that emphasizes the A sound. Well, and the nice thing about doing a screener like that is you may have a student that is in the green or the blue, mm -hmm. but they're missing one of their grapheme phoneme correspondences. So with the fluid group, if you're working with one of your lower groups, but it is a, a correspondence that the student doesn't have, you can always pull them in for that lesson. Exactly. Exactly. So going back to whole class instruction with the phonics companion, uh, I mean, I'll get into this like a little bit. I'll probably just breeze by it because I'll probably talk more about this on Friday. But what I like about it and what I'll do with my whole class instruction, let's say we're on, you know, according to these slides, we're on lesson 27. So the letter combination NG makes the ng sound. What I will probably do is I would show it on my smart board NG and I'd say, okay, my friends, NG makes the sound ng. Can you say ng, ng? And the phonics companion actually has an SLP video. So we hired an SLP and she teaches the kids how to pronounce the letter combination, where to place your tongue, how to move your mouth, are the sounds um, between your lips? Is it bilabial? Is it a fricative, et cetera? So it's, the SLP tells you exactly how to move your mouth. So it's what I really, really liked, it's probably my favorite part of the phonics companion is that there is that SLP component. Right. It also comes with word cards and letter squares. Right. I know a lot of schools and teachers um, like to send home spelling tests. That's what I do. So I go based on their, you know, like if they're struggling with A makes the A sound, then I go to the lesson and I pull out the words that the phonics companion provided me that has words that have the A sound, and those would be their spelling words, right? If you're a school that likes to give out spelling tests. There's also letter squares too. So the letter squares, like you chop them up and you can make the words. That's something some teachers do whole class. I personally don't because I find like paper gets everywhere when we're cutting and it's just a little tedious. It's just the reality of grade two. But what I do have them do working on their fine motor skills, I'll show the words on my smart board. So if we're doing NG makes the ng sound and I'll say, okay, great twos, repeat after me, king. Let's sound out together, k-ing, ng. Then what I do is I actually get them to hold up a finger in the air. 
they trace it in the air and then they write it down on their mini whiteboard and I get them to sound them out as they write it. So it's very direct, explicit instruction. And what's nice too, is there's always an activity with each lesson and there's always a suggestion for a decodable book. So I won't get into this, but this would be an example of a slide I might show, right? So I'd say, okay, say the sound, write it in the air, let's practice it. And then I'd have my words. There will be an activity. In this case, this one was word bingo. And then there's always a suggestion of a decodable book. Um, I believe with the Phonics Companion, they suggest the bug club books. You don't have to use them. Again, it's teacher discretion. Um, for me personally, I, I like to use the Raz Kids Plus decodable books. And we have to be careful because Raz Kids also has leveled books. I use specifically the decodable books. I find the kids really like them and the frequency of how often they use the letter sound correspondences I feel is really up to par. But again, teacher discretion, whatever decodable book you're comfortable with. Sometimes I'll even use the flyleaf because um, flyleaf has the ones you can put on your smart board whole class. So Again, we're learning NG makes the ng sound. I'd say, okay, we played word bingo. Now I'm going to show a decodable book on my smart board. And we're going to, I'm going to read the book. And anytime you hear or see or you read a word with the ng sound, I want you to write it down on your whiteboard and you do it with a partner. So that's how we reinforce our, um, our skills that we learned in our phonics lesson. Okay. Anything to add about phonics at all, Catherine? Or um, I I don't think so. This is more about your classroom with me bring some tidbits in here and there. Sure. I just wasn't sure if I was talking too much. No, no, it's I mean it, very well organized and um I, I like the linking to the books uh because it helps it's one thing to follow a scope and sequence that you're kind of creating or basing off a recommendation that you found somewhere, mm -hmm. but then having to go and find the resources that go along, it's, it's time consuming task. And it is very worthwhile because once you do it, you can do it, use it again. Yes. But it's helpful to have the resources right there for you to use. Totally. Absolutely. One more thing I forgot and I'll just do it quickly, but I will have to get up and walk around. Hopefully my computer isn't um, too blurry, but I'll also go to my Vowel Valley. Woo! So um, let's say, I don't know, we're learning that the long A sound, right? I'll get the kids to come over to Vowel Valley. I have my little pointer. We point, I say sound, and I get them to repeat it. And I'll say, okay, what are the different types of ways we could spell um, the long A sound, right? So the kids will do that for me. I also have a consonant wall. I'll just turn around here. Right. So what I like about this consonant wall is it also shows like the volume. If the kids see the volume, they know it's voiced. Yeah. And it also shows like the, the place and manner of articulation. Right. So this one lips are rounded. The tongue is pulled back or the tongue is behind the top teeth. Right. Um, tongue is between the teeth. Right. And that's especially a good reminder for that sound because a lot of kids will pronounce it like the letter F. Um, yeah, so I'll have to go back there. Especially when you're working with your students who have English as an additional language, where the phonemes may not necessarily be ones that are used in their native or their first language. Exactly. And having that 
description and the, the videos from the SLP showing the pronunciation and articulatory gestures helps them learn how to produce the sound and increases their sensitivity to the sound. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay. I'll go on to fluency really quickly. So fluency, again, this is a focus to recognize words automatically. There's a few resources I use. Um, this one is my favorite. This one is sounding out sight words. But what I like about it is you no longer have to teach um, high frequency words based on route memorization. They're organized um, phonetically, right? So I'll show like a little example here. Right. So our first lesson, we have the letter S, but did you know that S also makes the Z sound, right? If the, the sound before is voice, then we know that the S is voice, right? So these are some words I might display on my smart board. We'll practice reading them. We'll practice sounding it out. Lesson two, we have the TH. Then you go into um, lesson three, right? Or sorry, lesson four. I skipped one lesson, but if you go into lesson four, Right, we have double E, which makes the E sound. We practice the sight words. There's even more words. It has the dolch words. Mm -hmm. And then if it's highlighted, that means it's going through a previously taught correspondence. So example three, well, if you remember the previous lesson also had TH, which makes a sound. So it's always going back. Now this resource also has a game book. I haven't really used the game book, but I know a lot of teachers like it. For me, I just pulled this up on my smart board during our morning gathering and I'll say to the kids, okay, here are our sight words. Let's practice reading the words, sounding it out. And I will get them to do that whole class or with a partner. And again, with fluency, those decodable book pieces, when I'm doing whole class phonics, I just incorporate that because decodable books already have a high amount of high frequency words. So it's good practice for their fluency too, targeting that. Again, some sample slides I might use. So sometimes S makes the sound zzz. Here's a sample slide I might show to my students. And that would be what I'd use for vocabulary. Really uh, sounding out sight words, um, the decodable books. There's also sightwords.com too that has a lot of really interesting games. Moving on to vocabulary. I feel like, I hope I'm moving at a good pace. Um, Again, focus on vocabulary is to require tier two level words. Now, when I'm doing whole class teaching of vocabulary, I use this resource, it's called Vocabulary Ladders, and I'm using the grade two one. And basically what I'll do is I'll start at lesson one and there's five activities for each of the vocabulary lessons. So I'll do one per day, right? This is how I pre-teach the vocabulary. I introduce the word, present a student-friendly definition, illustrate the words with examples, check student understanding. This is an example slide I might use, right? So, you know, on this particular day, we were learning all about noise level, right? So it's a spectrum, silent, quiet, calm, noisy, roaring. Sometimes I'll get the kids, you know, I probably wouldn't do this with noise level, but I'll, I get them to act it out. Um, you can do it outside. Yeah, maybe not in grade two. I don't know if I really want them roaring <laughs> in my morning, but um, I might even get them to make up a sentence with a friend, right? So roaring is a loud, deep sound. For example, a lion is always roaring in the jungle. Now turn to a partner and I want you with your partner, think of a sentence you could use with the word roaring, right? And then they present it to the class. 
I might even do charades too. I know a few weeks ago we were learning about groups. So it was like individual, couple, group, assembly, mob. And so I get the kids to come up and be like, okay, like this student's standing right here. They're an individual. I might get a few more students. Okay, now it's a group. And then I get everyone to stand up and I go, oh, now it's a, an assembly or a mob, right? That might be something I do. As I'm looking at this slide, I'm thinking of a one of my kids' favorite books, uh, The Very Cranky Bear. Oh, cute. Okay. Uh, because it has a lot of these words in it. Right. Yes. And well as a, a reading book with it. Yeah. And I mean, like the one that I use, it's by Timothy Rosinski, um, but it's it's level two, which you would assume. Oh, I just mean, this is just like a book that you can use as you're teaching those vocabulary words yeah. to enhance you them, could, right? Yeah, you could well, totally think of reading. Yeah, when you're doing like whole class reading of a book, like a read aloud, yeah, yeah, you can absolutely match it to your vocabulary ladders for sure. So basically summary of how I do whole class teaching. I do 10 minutes of phonemic awareness, 20 minutes of phonics, um, some, a few minutes of fluency and a few minutes of vocabulary. So in total, it takes maybe about uh, 40, 50 minutes. So that would be like a good chunk of my LA block. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. This is just a video of someone um, doing like an amazing job teaching vocabulary. But if you'd like, I like to move on to literacy centers. So this is what I would use to, it says used to determine whole class instruction, it's supposed to say used to determine literacy centers. Um, so again, whole class instruction, we're trying to target the five pillars of reading. And this is how I form my literacy centers. And I mean, it, this depends on your class, of course, but how I do it is I do about three to five students per group. And I want to do cooperative learning groups. So students who are at different um, levels, if you will, um, with their reading, right? So I look at their Towery scores and I'd say, okay, you know, I'll have a student who scored in the blue range and the green range in group one. And then I might have a student in the yellow and red range in that same group because we want to have mixed skill level groups for centers, um, but then same skill level groups for um pull out instruction at my U table. Okay, so these are some examples of centers I'll use and I'll actually have it like, so one center's in one corner of the room, one center's in the other, one center might be at their desk, one center might be at their carpet, et cetera. And I've changed these centers frequently just depending on what it is that I wanna work on, but these are just some examples. So I have a shared reading center not an independent reading center. And the reason I do shared reading is so, you know, students are reading together, they hear it, and they're building their fluency, and they're working with a partner in a more collaborative sense, right? Working on their fluency skills, their sight recognition, and their phonics, right? What I do is I give them two books, and but I also give them a decodable book, and I tell the students you have to read the, the paper decodable book first, and then you can read another book together. And again, they're paired off into different, um, they're paired off into mixed leveled, if you will, groups, like depending on their um, current skill levels in reading. So, you know, if I have a student who may be a struggling reader, their partner will be someone who maybe has more of those um, grapheme to phoneme skills um, mastered. And so they will read with a student who, um, with their decodable book. 
So we always do the decodable book first. It's always shared reading. Okay. I also have a sight word center. So basically, I don't know if you remember this, but with the phonics companion, it gives a list of words um, that you know match the whole class phonics lesson. If we're learning ng makes the ng sound, then I'm gonna have a bunch of words like king, ring, sing. But every lesson I do, I cut up those words, I laminate them, I have them as a sight word center. The kids pull out the words, they practice reading it, they show it to their friends, and then they all write it on their board and they take turns. So that's a sight word center I use. You can even use different resources like the Florida Center for Reading Research is a good one, sightwords.com, or the Sounding Out Sight Words, which is that yellow book I showed earlier. I'll even have a word work center. So looking back with the phonics companion, with that one lesson that was the NG makes the ng sound, the activity was word bingo. So whatever lesson I taught, maybe the previous day, I'll have that activity as a center. So again, they're practicing um, that previously taught concept. You can even use the Floor Center for Reading Research or Word Ladders. Those are some good resources. The Word Ladders are also by Timothy Rosinski, who makes the vocabulary ladders. Okay. I could even do a writing center too. So again, I'm, one thing I mentioned on the last uh, episode was I'm really diving into the writing revolution. And then basically the writing revolution, it's a resource that emphasizes writing instruction be implemented into the curriculum rather than having a set writing uh, block. So let's say in social, we're learning about liquids. I might say for the writing center, okay, tell me um, three things you learned about liquids, right? But bringing it back to the curriculum. Or if I previously taught like spelling or conventions or grammar, I might even do that as my writing center, but always bringing it back to previously taught concepts and or the curriculum. I'll have a vocabulary center. So something to, um, I'll look at my curriculum and I'll say, okay, well, one of the outcomes is synonyms, antonyms, for example, that's what I'm working on right now. So I have a vocabulary center. I use the Florida Center for Reading Research a lot. It's a website that has tons of free resources and you just print them off, cut them up, laminate it, or put it in a clear plastic folder, you're done and it's good for the kids. So right now we're working on one that's synonyms and antonyms. So it's like a matching game where you have cards and like the header says happy, you pick up a card that says joy and you find the synonym. Um, so that's what I'll do. And again, bringing it back to previously taught concepts. Okay. One other center I might start off at the beginning of the year or even in the middle or the end, like, I mean, depends on your group. I'll have a phonemic awareness center. And a lot of this, I, um, I will use the Florida Center for Reading Research. They have tons of resources on, um, uh, this says vocabulary, that's a mistake. Sorry about that. But the Florida Center for Reading Research has a ton of examples on, um, or a ton of resources on phonemic awareness center activities and games. So I know um, in my class, we use rhyme memory match where like the cards are face down, they flip the cards over and try to match them. Okay, I'll talk really quickly about pullout instruction. Okay, so again, 
And this might be a little bit uh, repetitive. I think I mentioned this a lot. I got really excited at the beginning when I have students that I'm pulling out who scored very high um, with their Towery, I'm probably just gonna focus on vocabulary, right? So there's tons of resources. Again, Florida Center for Reading Research. I might even pull out a book that's of, um, what was it? Not high interest books. How did you say it? Um, not um, the high interest books. What was it again? Uncontrolled text. Yes, I might pull out text like that and I'll pre I'll pick tier two words and pre teach it and then we'll read it together. And then I might do a Freyer's model to check for understanding. Okay, this is how I would teach vocabulary. I think I already talked about this. I won't get into it. But um, again, I'll double check understanding. I might use a Freyer's model or a concept definition map. Um, when I do pull out instruction for my readers who may be struggling and need more of that explicit instruction with phonemic awareness and phonics. Um, I'll use any phonemic awareness activities. Um, typically from the Florida Center, I could pull out Hegarty, things like that. Um, and I wrote just a little tidbit here in my slides. It's a good reminder that regardless of grade, struggling readers in yellow and red can benefit from PA activities. Mm -hmm. And you choose an activity based on the goals for your student, right? Um, for phonics instruction, some things I might use for pullout, I'll use the phonics companion, because again, I did that quick screener and I see John and Jane, um, they need to work on their the letter S and the letter A and the letter T, right? So I might just pull out those words and that's what I'll use um, for pullout intervention. You could also use any of these other resources I discussed. Um, with fluency activities, I might just take the book from sounding out sight words and just review the sight words that we already went through whole class and we'll read through it. Or you could use the game book too, match it with decodable books. Um, I have here when teaching phonics and fluency, we always pair the pullout lesson with a decodable book in order to learn the letter sound correspondences through frequent repetition. And one thing I'll actually do, you know, I look at my quick screener, I see, you know, there's some kids who are struggling with NG makes the ng sound. So I know, okay, that's going to be your homework. Maybe for spelling, you practice those NG words. There's not a lot. And then I send home that decodable book. And that's like their assigned book to read just to help them with their phonemic decoding. Well, and the important um, thing about that is the reason why we want to use the decodable books, especially for the ones that are struggling, is there is a lot of conscious effort put into the language and, and the words the child comes across in those books. And they, when you have struggling students, they typically need more frequent uh, occurrences of reading the same word precisely. in order to map it. Precisely. That's yeah. where those uh, authentic texts and the uncontrolled texts, uh, a lot of the stuff that we see on RAS kids, yes, doesn't provide that option for them to see these patterns repeatedly and work on these phonic skills repeatedly. Yes, exactly. And that's that's the beauty of the decodable books is you can be so intentional with how you match it, right? Whether it's with your whole class instruction or your pullout groups, right? It's it's a double whammy, like you're benefiting the whole class, you're benefiting the small pullout groups. Um, and again, I think I said this, but I do emphasize that I only use the RAS Kids Plus decodable books. I, I'm not currently using the leveled books. Mm -hmm. 
I have listed here, again, these are slides from when I did PD at my district, um, pretty much all the resources, and maybe I'll send them to you, Catherine, and you could link them in the show notes, um, all the resources that I think would be beneficial for different areas of the reading pillars um, and different things that I use within the classroom. So there might be some things I haven't mentioned on here, but like it's a gold mine like I really I go back to this even though they're my own notes but there's tons of resources here so I'll send those to you and then you could put it in the show notes if you want wonderful thank you so much and that's <laughs> there you go that's <laughs> wonderful well thank you so much for giving us this detailed look into how you do things in your classroom and your students are definitely fortunate to have you as a teacher and I think you are set for a, you know, a wonderful career seeing this is your third year into it. And you already have this, you know, this foundation of how to support these students in their reading development from the start. Thank you, Catherine. And I, I hope whoever's watching this session finds it beneficial. I hope viewers are able to take something away. And I hope I could have been of assistance with your journey into the science of reading. So thanks. Yes. And our next conversation is going to be taking a deeper look at that phonics companion and your role in helping develop it. Right on. I can't wait. So we'll see you guys tomorrow. Take care, everyone.